You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thursday, February the 22nd. Great to be back with you here on the podcast. And thanks to Tom and Charlotte for all their brilliant work through the last seven days. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Their tiny violins have been out, as will yours have been for me on a beach in Hawaii. And I'm sure hearts bleeding similarly for the fact that I can't get from Kona to Riyadh, where I am now, ahead of the Saudi Cup on Saturday in fewer than three flights and two days. So here I am after a few hairy moments in situ, uh, raring to go and suitably refreshed, having enjoyed the wedding of uh, two of my great friends and colleagues, the brilliantly talented Rob and Lindsay Highland. So on we go then. And what have I been up to this morning? Well, I've been out and about already, been speaking on your behalf to Florent Giroux, to Tim Easterby. I've been checking in back home with Sam Thomas, who thinks he could have a big weekend at Kempton Park jumping. There's also been an awful lot going on in the world of betting and politics. I'll be touching on so many of those issues with Neil Channing in a few moments' time. But first of all, a little bit of that and a lot of this with an owner who might be the luckiest around and who has high hopes of a nigh-on million-dollar payday at the weekend with a horse who costs just 40 grand. The owner's name is Gary Alsop, his horse, Roberto Escobar, and the owner has some pretty strong views about getting bets on and gambling that you'll hear in a few moments' time. He also appreciates what a ride it's been, and I began by asking him how it all began. A bad man called Harry Herbert, uh, who runs High Clare, he said to me, you know, do you want to get involved in, in ownership? Um, so I got involved with, uh, with their syndicates, got involved with a couple of horses, and the third horse that I bought was uh, bought into was Cache, uh, and we all know what, the story where she took us, and it was just surreal, you know, being at Newmarket winning the thousand guineas uh, from a lad from Coventry that just liked to bet, that done okay in business, and just got onto the other side of race horsing, uh, race horses, and just fell in love with it, you know, fell in, and, and it was interesting to see behind the scenes what happens, the heartbreak. I mean, I had a winner on at Maiden, uh, at the carnival on Friday. That same day, I've got a horse called Branson, Missouri, who two weeks ago, she, got a, she stood on a nail, got an infection. The vet said, we may have to do the nuclear option, which broke my heart, or to give her a better way of life, it's gonna cost you 6,000 pounds for the operation. I was pleased to say she'd come through the operation fine that day. And that, that night I had a winner at £22,000. But that's racing. It will take you the highs and the lows and everything else. But I've loved it. Yeah. This journey with this horse is incredible because not only had you not set eyes on him before you went to Italy for the Italian St. Ledger, but you'd never set eyes on, on the trainer either. So how's it all come together? No, I knew Mick was a bit of a superstar. And it was, again, just in burn my racer manager, I said, look, I'll let you choose the trainer. And he said, well, you know, Mick Apple be really, it, it, it's sensible of where we want to go. Because... William Haggis, when we bought him, he, he wanted to aim at the winter finals. So that's what we put him with Mick Appleby for. But we, we, we planned it out where we'd like to be. And winning the second group three took us uh, in, into Italy. Like I said, we got there and met Roberto Escobar for the first time, met Marco Gianni for the first time and Mick Appleby for the first time and, um, and burgled the prize. You know, we took it. Thank you very much indeed. Bought it home. And then where do we go from here? So we've got a nice 
journey ahead of us. And, and, and we don't know what's going to happen Saturday. We're in the mix, and that's the most important thing. And the horse is in good form, and he should love the track, I think. I think he loves the turf, he'll love the track. Um, you know, uh, uh, to win by eight and a quarter lengths, all right, we're in, it's different gravy, this race is, altogether to what we, what we run against in, in, um, in Italy. But, you know, we'll give, it, we'll give it a go, and we'll ride him to the line. And, you know, we, we've got a race plan, and if it works... We're going home with some serious beans. <laughs> you are going home with a, a lot of money and then possibly Dubai. And you're talking about Melbourne as well. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So we've entered in for the Dubai Gold Cup. Um, so depending on how we do here, really, to be honest with you. And then, you know, Melbourne, we'll go, we'll go to it. You know, I'm, you get one life, Nick, and I'm enjoying this one. I really am. And, you know, I'm enjoying the race. And, and look, Saudi, Maiden, uh, Melbourne, Newmarket. Oh, loving life. All for 40 grand? For 40 grand, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and he's already paid that back, really, to be honest with you, in what he's won already. So uh, whatever happens today, and I will put her back into, you know, um, some money back into the sport. I'll go buy in again if we, you know, if we win, you know, because I, I just love it. Um, you know, I get a bit ir irritated, niggled back at the UK prize money, gambling commission in particular. You know, if I wanted to get a big bet on my horse this week, I'd struggle. And I wish somebody would just read the room. You know, if the Gambling Commission could read the room, if there's anyone on that Gambling Commission that has a 50p each way on a Grand National every year, they shouldn't be on there. They should have people like Gary Wiltshire, who's done his brains. At, you know, people that's been hurt by gambling and people that have done okay in gambling, you know. So everybody needs to read the room. I can't get a bet on because, you know, they ask me... Can you afford it? You know, and I, I, I'm not giving them all my details. But anyway, that's another story. But well, it is the story at the moment, Gary, isn't it? I mean, you've beautifully encapsulated in just a, a few minutes all the great things about this sport, underpinned by all the frustrations that everyone's experiencing. Well, the owners, you know, if, if you want a good bet on your horse, I don't want some kid. And I, the last conversation I had was with a big bookmaking firm. They said, "Can you afford uh, to bet?" Yes, I can. And can you can you show me where uh, your money is? And they sent them the bank. And they said, uh, "Can we see where your money's come from?" And I'm thinking, "How dare you? How dare you ask me these questions?" You know, uh, I know what I can afford to bet, what I can't afford to bet. But then nobody's reading the room. And I've seen the dark side of bookmaking as well. I've been in the book is where kids have been kicking the crack machines, and that's the real problem, by the way. If the Gambling Commission actually looked at it, it's the bookies and the crack machines that are causing the problems, not owners that want to get a good bet on their horses that can afford to, you know, keep this, that are good for the sport and keep it going. So, yeah, I'm a bit frustrated, a bit frustrated about the prize money as well back home. I had one running at Fakenham the other day for two and a half thousand quid, you know, and it's like you go over to France and Ireland, I think every race should be 10,000 quid every race and cut a few races down you know and just um let owners because when when there's money available a good part the owners get all their horses in everybody comes in but i've got to keep my horses running because they cost 15 to 1500 quid 2000 pound a month to train and then you've got your vets fees and everything else on top of it so it's so frustrating but you know, gamble, you know if, if you wanted a good gamble on your, on your horse and you think it may be a, a big each way touch, I can't get my bet on that will subsidise that 1,500 quid or that 2,000 or that vet fee and stuff like that. So, yeah, they're my little niggles about it. But being here, Nick, honestly, it's a dream. I'm living the dream. All right, that was Gary Alsop, a one mainly very happy and enthusiastic owner, embodying so much 
of what is is good about horse racing and many of the concerns within it at the moment. Listening to that was the Racing Post, Maddie Playle. Uh, Maddie, what was your your key takeaway there from what Gary was saying? I think he just encompasses a lot of what a lot of racing fans and professionals are feeling at the moment. Um, great to hear the enthusiasm from him. Um, we've had some great international racing over the last couple of months and certainly a lot of owners and trainers taking advantage of prize money that we we just don't get in the UK anymore at that sort of level. You know, this is an incredibly shrewd bit of purchasing um, and campaigning for him to go out to, to Italy, to San Siro and win the Italians at Ledger and then back at Newcastle last time, finishing fourth, picking up, you know, not even three grand. And then now he's off out in Riyadh living the dream. I don't see why he can't run a really big race um, out in the desert. I think he's he's got the right sort of profile. And um, he's certainly, he's always struck me as a horse who's an incredibly strong stayer and very honest. And that will serve him well in a race of the nature of the Red Sea Turf Handicap. Some very important comments at the end of that interview about affordability checks, as we are now just four, four days away from the key debate uh, in Parliament. And we are off the back of what we've been told are quite important talks between industry leaders and representatives from what could be the next government, uh, if we assume that Labour are going to win the next election. More of that in a few moments' time. Why has an article that has appeared in today's Guardian by Rob Davis been enough to raise the eyebrow, Maddie? We're led to believe that a £2 limit on digital slot machines is going to be introduced for under 25s. Now, this is obviously going to be broadly similar to the restrictions on fob tees um, that came in in 2019. This is all obviously a result of the um, white paper on gambling reform last year. This is going to cost casino companies hundreds of of millions of pounds, um, given the, the amount that could previously be staked on these sort of machines. The one thing that comes to my mind is certainly how um, horse racing and casino gambling, such as uh, these digital slot machines, are just incredibly different. And I don't think that differentiation's quite given the the respect and the appreciation and the acknowledgement that it deserves. Um, you know, we heard from Conor McGinn, the MP, a, a couple of weeks ago about the the illiteracy surrounding horse racing and gambling in Parliament. I think that's something that I, I can definitely relate to and have certainly heard of when I've been dealing with with stories in this vein. And all this, Maddie, at a time when the political battleground as regards gambling and to a lesser extent racing has become enlivened once again. At a time when the BHA, perhaps belatedly according to some, together with industry colleagues, have been actively courting Labour members and their advisers with a view to how the next government is going to approach racing and betting at a time when there's been a significant data breach at Corals, which was announced earlier today, at a time when the controversial Gambling Commission chief executive has cast doubt again as to the dangers posed by the black market, and at a time when a charity involved ostensibly in the prevention of gambling-related harm has waded into the debate with a public survey, all to be discussed now with Neil Channing, our betting and political expert. Uh, but Neil, let's start with the uh, headline of Rob Davis's piece about the stake sizes reducing for online casino games. 
And the notion that we have asked on this podcast a few weeks ago, particularly in that conversation I had with Patrick Veach, about whether this paradoxically could be an advantage for horse racing because it might force uh, bookmakers to uh, focus on what we think ought to be one of their core products. Well, I hope you're right, but I don't really buy it. I mean, you know, the stakes on the uh, so the, the the stakes on digital slot machines are going to be set to two pounds uh, for players under twenty five and five pounds for the maximum stake, and five pounds for players over twenty five. Um, you'll remember that um, obviously the machines in the betting shops, the fixed odds betting terminals, FOBTs, uh came down to two pounds some years ago. And lots of people said, oh, brilliant. As soon as that happens, those bookies, instead of restricting people to pennies on, on big races, they're going to have to start laying bets. Well, has that happened in the last few years? You know, firms have realised this legislation is likely coming. This was like the 101 chance in the gambling uh, review uh, to come in. It was the thing that everyone agreed that would happen. The, the Betting and Gaming Council didn't really fight against this one too much. Uh, I think I think the large firms have accepted this is going to happen, and they're they're, they're just going to kind of you know move into other areas. I don't, I don't, I, it's certainly not horse racing, which they consider to be a very expensive product. Okay. I think it. I, I heard Patrick Beach talking about it. I've got a lot of respect for Patrick, but um, I think it's a bit optimistic, really. Okay, what about further down Rob Davis's piece? Research by pollsters at Ipsos, commissioned by the UK's leading gambling charity GambleAware, found broad support for both light touch and enhanced checks, both amongst gamblers and those who've not placed a bet in the past 12 months. What do you make of that? I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't find, it doesn't mention in the article, and I couldn't find on Rob's Twitter where he's getting that from. I spent 20 minutes on the Ipsos Mori website, and I couldn't find anything about that. Uh, I did find um, a few surveys, all commissioned by um, uh, the gambling charity, the anti-gambling, I, I think I'm safe to say anti-gambling charity, although that might not be how they describe themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I think these surveys have to be questioned a little bit. I was looking, uh, first of all, they're, they're asking just general members of the public how do you perceive these various types of gambling in terms of how addictive they are? I mean, what kind of question is that? I mean, most people are not very expert in gambling, uh, and they're asking them how they perceive the addictiveness. I mean, like, this is not expert opinion to be uh, used to, you know, change government policy, I don't think. Um, so I don't know what the questions, how the questions were framed, but I know that the charity Gambler Aware funded the the research, so I, I don't have a lot of faith in it, really. And also, when they're talking about gambling harm, among a lot of that Ipsos Mori stuff, you know, questions such as, have you gambled to try and win back money you've previously lost? Well, that doesn't mean you're... Does that mean... I don't know, have you done that? I, I think I pretty much do that every time I have a bet. Neil, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago we discussed uh, Labour MP Conor McGinn's pronouncements that the BHA and those in the industry should be doing a bit more to foster good relations with the likely next government and those who might be responsible for horse racing and betting within it. Uh, News reaches us that senior officials from the BHA and elsewhere throughout the industry have been briefing advisors and one or two Labour MPs at any rate. They're perhaps not as many as they'd quite like on matters relating to, to racing and trying to get some sort of steer as to what uh, Labour's position on affordability checks and so forth might be. Have we got any further intel on that? I think the BHA were really patting themselves on the back after the St. Ledger. They managed to get about 25 
uh, Labour MPs to turn up at the St Ledger, which was a real good turnout. Uh, Starmer was supposed to go, and then at the last minute, he flew to Canada to meet Justin Trudeau for some reason. Um, but Lucy Powell is going to be uh, likely to be involved in DCMS uh, in a Labour government, and also Thangam Debonair. Um, one interesting thing that came up recently was that Thangam Debonair is the MP for Bristol West. Uh, Bristol's having a, um, Bristol keeps growing as a town, and they're having more MPs, so they're having a bit of a shuffle round. Um, she's going to be standing in Bristol Central. The Green Party are throwing absolutely everything at this new constituency of Bristol Central. And a, a poll last week said that they're four points ahead there. So Thang of Debonair may not even be, even though she's got a majority of about 25,000, she might not even be an MP after the next election. So maybe they shouldn't invest too much in her. I kind of feel like she's not really that into racing. They've got more chance with Lucy Powell, I think. Now, it's not going to be any, any secret that you're not Keir Starmer's number one fan, uh, Neil, but when he does get into to number 10, is there anything in his style of doing things that makes you uh, think about how he might approach uh, gambling as a whole? Well, I'm, I'm really pessimistic, actually, because, I, I, I mean, I can't stand Starmer, but, you know, just talking about the way he operates and his style, uh, of course, he ran the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, which is a quango, uh, and you know he's very much an administrator and a and a kind of a, you know a, he's 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 not really a, a passionate politician. He's more of a manager. So I feel when he sees something like the gambling commission, which people kind of widely consider, people people that aren't really involved in the sport might widely consider they're doing a good job, they seem okay. Um, I think he's going to say, well, this Andrew Rose, he seems like an okay guy. He's he's another, uh, you know, administrator. I'm happy to just defer to him and let him do whatever he wants because gambling is a bit of a mess and I, I'm not really interested in it. And that's how I would see it playing out. And I, I haven't seen anything to change my mind on that. Yeah, you were quite vocal in the Racing Post today about... Um uh, Ro- Andrew Rhodes's uh, comments on the on the black market, um, which seems to seems to become a bit of a uh, rhetorical battleground between the two sides. September twenty three, he makes a speech. He says the black market is exaggerated. 9th of November twenty three, he speaks to CEOs of the industry. He says people always misquote me, so I'll say it here. Risk of illegal gambling and black market is overstated based on what we see in reality. Well, of course he's going to say that, isn't he? He's trying to get his budget increased. You know, this is an organisation that gets $25 million a year, which is full of ex-old Bill, all ex-metropolitan police people. Have you ever seen them catch anybody in the black market? Have we seen any high-profile cases in the last year where he's turned around and said, we've caught this black market operator? Turnover is down, we know, year on year, 15 to 20%. But he says there's no increase in black market activity. So that would suggest that 15 to 20% of people have quit betting, just stopped betting altogether. If they haven't gone to the black market and the turnover's down, they must have just stopped betting, which by definition means they can't be addicts. If we've cut turnover and, and therefore obviously funding to horse racing by 15 to 20%, um, well then, but we haven't done anything to stop um stop gambling addicts because obviously these people can't be addicts they've just quit overnight well obviously we've totally failed in the primary aim of the whole thing and all we've done is you know ruin the funding of horse racing and and cut turnover to betting for no benefit it's ridiculous 
yeah, and given we started this conversation, pretty much every conversation we've had, Neil, over the last year or two about um, bookmakers getting sensitive data from customers, there's been a rather unfortunate data breach at Corals, it seems, which it could have quite nasty implications. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like this is an area that doesn't get discussed as much as it perhaps ought to. Uh, you know, the idea of... I heard someone say last week... I can't remember who it was, um, so I can't credit them. But uh, they they said that um, they had come into contact with somebody who, during an affordability check, had had to give over to the uh, to the operator, the person at the betting company. They they'd done it like a team viewer and looked into their bank account in real time to make sure it was really their bank account and to go through line by line. You know, somebody watching you log into your bank account that, that works for a bookmaker, you know, it's pretty easy to get a job at a bookmaker at a low level. We don't really know how they're storing this information. I, I, I was asked to do an affordability check by one of the companies, which I refused to do. But the first thing I did was to ask them loads of questions about how they were going to store the information, what they were going to do with it, who was going to have access to it within the company, how long it would be kept for, etc., etc., etc. I didn't even get a reply to that. Uh, and I, I do think it's an issue that people, you know, haven't really thought long enough about. It's all very well sending all this kind of stuff to a solicitor or an accountant or the tax man or something like that. These are bookmakers. Do we really trust them with this kind of information? It's a bad one for corals, but it's bad for the industry as well. Neil Channing there. It's not going to put a spring in your step, his, his view of how the next Labour government might be for, for the racing and and betting industries. Interesting that, that the sport is trying to get its act together in, in that respect. Uh, Maddie Playl is, is still with me. Maddie, just going back to the original article that, that sparked this conversation, the, the Rob Davis piece, if if gambling-related charities or, or charities that deal with gambling-related harm are putting out surveys where they are asking questions of the general public, then it is unsurprising that that will tilt in favour of of affordability checks or some kind of check it, it, but it it, it is it's, it's not exactly going to be a, a nuanced argument therein is it no and that again links back to that illiteracy i guess and and sort of lack of detail in in some of these lines of questioning um you know we're all in agreement that um problem gamblers or or people who have um addictions to gambling you know need our utmost support and there's certainly more that we can do to support them and we should be doing but equally you know the bottom line is many of us horse racing fans betters you know bet well within our means and um, do so as an enjoyable pursuit you know when you're asking do these people deserve help and should we be doing of course the answers are going to be yes you know but that's not that's not actually that helpful because it's not delving into the issue um, at, at a at a a closer level imagine how popular you would be if you weren't popular already if you came to saudi arabia and won the saudi cup the world's richest horse race on a horse called saudi crown that's what florent Giroux is trying to do and if any man can pull it off it might be him because you get a good tune out of this horse flo how's he how's he training here well it looks like he traveled great and looks like he's training good so looking forward for the race okay uh, tell me a little bit about this horse's 
innate talent, his his raw ability, and whether you think he's up to this this sort of level. Well, I think he has a lot of talent. You know, he's just a very lightly race. Uh, he's not quite as polished as some of the uh, other horses uh, competing uh, in this race, but. Um, I think he definitely uh, can win the race. I don't see why not. Okay, when you say he's not quite as polished, what exactly do you mean? Do you mean he's more of a work in progress? We haven't quite got to the bottom of him yet? No, polishing mean uh, by uh, racing experience. He only raced uh, six or seven times, I would say. And most of those horses in there, they play, I would say, a dozen, more than 20, maybe double than him, racing-wise. It's what I mean by polishing. But uh, he has the talent and... uh, He's already a great one winner, you know, at uh, minor eight. So we are hoping uh, he likes the configuration of the track, you know, here the minor eight uh, one turn. Is he tough enough? I would think so, yeah. I think he progressed a lot from last year to this year. Uh, that's what you want to see from three to four. Uh, I definitely think he belongs in the race. He ran a very strong race last time against lesser competition, but uh, he showed uh, the ability and looked like he didn't regress, you know, uh, number-wise. There's a lot of speed in the race. Yeah. A lot of speed inside of you, outside of you. How are you going to play your hand? Well, it just depends how the horse breaks, to be honest, Nick, and go from there or try to keep in nice rhythm. I have a feeling some of the horses, sometimes when they do travel like this overseas, it doesn't matter you know, if they are you know, Japanese horses or US-based horses, some of them doesn't show as much speed. I don't know why, it's just uh, they can get a little bit flat. Uh, hopefully mine uh, will break sharp and be right there and... We go from there. And for followers of Florent Giroux, how does your, your spring look this year? When you've done uh, here in Saudi, you, you go home, what, is the, what does the agenda look like from here to, to say, derby time? Derby time, it looks like I have to go to New York when I get back here in Aqueduct for the Gotham. Somebody's got to do it. Yes, someone has to do it. Uh, chasing the dream, the, the derby horse. Uh, I'm missing a, a nice one, actually, this weekend, Timberlake, in the Rebel. Like he's, he's very live in there. Uh, but you know, uh, we chose to come here. You know, a long time ago with Sally Crown, and that's what the, it was the wish. You know, also of his owner, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Faze, also very happy uh, to come here and get invited and uh, be competing. Okay. So if you you miss the ride on Timberlake and the Rebel, if could you still get back on the horse theoretically? <laughs> it's a good question <laughs> because you need to ask the, the trainer and the owner. You know, I think they <laughs> they will. Uh, they will be. Uh, they can respond to that, not me. Okay. All right. But you're still you're still in the mix anyway. This, this, I hope so. Okay. Well, it's, it, it just but it's interesting because it just does go to show the decisions you got to take, the risks you got to take if you're an American-based jockey at this time of year. This is the time of year where you are starting to put your hat in the ring for all the important Derby horses. Yeah, definitely. We're well, looking at it. Look like I'm the only one in the jackpot this weekend, but. <laughs> all right. That was Florent Giroux, the man who rides Saudi Crown in the Saudi Cup. Uh, Maddie Playle is still with me. Maddie, you take a very keen interest in um, racing across the globe, particularly racing in the in the east. You'll note the strong Japanese contingent against what took a very very deep group of American horses. What has caught your eye most noticeably? Well, you're right there, Nick, because it is the two Japanese runners. Always been a big fan of Derma Sotogaki, and he ran such a huge race to finish second to White Abario in the the Breeders' Cup Classic in November. Interestingly, he's shorter in the betting than Ushba Tesoro, who of course won the Dubai World Cup last year, beating Algiers. And that horse has, has been out again since he finished fifth in that race, won by White Abario, winning the Tokyo Daishaten um, in Japan. 
he's got a wider draw to contend with. Positioning is key for him in that he can sort of lack early gears and he, he's one to to not show a great deal of early pace. But there could be a decent amount of that on here. Dermis Atageki often goes forward. Lemon Pop can too. Um, and some of the others in behind as well. I wonder if Crown Pride could be stoked up to to apply some pressure. And, and that would certainly suit him. I think he's probably being underestimated slightly. Um, but I do think the main talking point for me is that just how strong a hand Japan has in this race again after it won it with Panthalassa in 2023. Okay, any Cheltenham odds and ends that I'm missing at the moment, Maddie? There was a bit of a flurry on Gordon Elliott's star mare brighter days ahead yesterday, but that might have been a slip of the tongue on his part, you're thinking? Yeah, at the Grand National Weights launch, um, he was asked about horses he was looking forward to running, and he said he had especially high hopes for brighter days ahead in the mayor's hurdle now. I'm sure he would have meant the mayor's novices hurdle and it was a simple slip of the tongue. But interestingly, the markets reacted anyway. Um, and of course, we're, we're still delving into um, the handicap entries. It's definitely some sleepers that I've noted um, in those handicaps who I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see which races they end up going for. First off, um, Demnat for Venetia Williams. Now, we saw Lompresse uh, in the Ascot chase. That stable form is, is is struggling a little bit for Venetia at the moment. So maybe that's a reason to upgrade um, Demnat's win. He's declared tomorrow at Warwick in a two-mile four handicap chase. Got entries in um, all over the place in the Ultima, the Grand Annual and the Plate and the Kimura, actually. Um, and I just think he's off a mark of 132 at the moment. Got a racing post rating of 140 at Ludlow. He's probably going to need another ratings rise to get him in. Um, but nevertheless, you know, incredibly well-bred horse has one at a time when the stable horses aren't necessarily firing and looked really good in doing so. He could be a little bit of a forgotten horse. He just, it, I find when horses enter the picture at this time of year, people kind of dismiss them a little because they haven't heard of them so far, but he's certainly one to be keeping an eye on. And the other is um, Encanto Bruno for that man again, Gavin Cromwell. Now, we can remember, if we look back to um, the October meeting at Cheltenham, how he sighed through um, the field in the two-and-a-half-mile novice hurdle. Um, it was one of Keith Donoghue's um, fantastically strong travelling rides that day. Um, he's been incredibly disappointing since finish 8th of 8th to Farron Glory in the Royal Bond and then 9th of 13 uh, at Leopardstown. But I think you can put both of those efforts down to the ground. He's, he's a good ground horse. His record shows that. He's two from three at Cheltenham. His only defeat coming when 11th in the champion bumper and that came on soft ground to a dream to share last year. I think off a mark of 139-ish, he can be incredibly competitive in the Coral Cup County Martin Pipe, wherever he runs. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion they might go to the, the the county with him. And even his old form is working out really well. Um, he won a, a, a bumper at Cheltenham a couple of years ago that was sort of running a bit of a fast, but he, he showed his speed then. And I wouldn't be surprised if Gavin Cromwell's just got his eye on one of those big handicaps as he has done successfully in Britain all season. All right. Good stuff at Kempton at the weekend. Who might take advantage of the opportunities presented and some good prize money as well. Sam Thomas seems at the top of the list. He runs one very exciting young horse, one older horse we know quite a bit about who could yet trouser a fair bit of Kempton's money. Let's talk about Lump Sum, first of all, Sam, if we can, who you run in the Dovecote Novices Hurdle. He gave Jericho de Repine a bit of a fright at Doncaster last time. 
Nobody took much notice of your horse. In fact, should we have done? Uh, look, we're obviously thrilled with the run, Nick, and um, it was a bit of a messy race. I was quite adamant with Tom Cannon before that we were to um, be a bit stubborn, if you like, and make sure we dropped in. We felt we had to educate the horse. Um, he can be very keen in his races. So, yeah. So, as it turned out, he got a bit flat-footed, really, uh, heading down to the second last, then met some trouble. So, yeah, all in all, we thought it was a very, very good run. And um, please God, he'll come on again for that. And I'd noticed the previous twice that he'd won, it had been against marked inferiors. Do you think he was in, in need of a bit of track craft, a bit of race craft? Yeah, absolutely, like you say, and, and, and it probably showed that we did lack that experience, really, Nick. Yeah, because when they started rattling on down to the second last, he was all lost at sea for, for a little while. So, yeah, you, you know, with these youngsters, and certainly as a jockey, I remember riding, it was amazing, you know, riding these uh, young novices. Each time you sat on them, they just were that bit more streetwise. Um, and um, he's still very, very inexperienced. And, um, yeah, we like to think he's going to develop into a really nice, 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 nice hurdler. And, um, yeah, like I say, it's, it's going to be just another... Another box ticked, really, for for a good bit of experience last time. I mean, what what are you what uh, spring festival aspirations are you entertaining for him at the moment? I mean, you've got him in some handicaps at Cheltenham. Is he could he be good enough to contest one of the novice races potentially? Um, I mean, in past experiences, like we've had nice horses gone there and sort of just you know wondering what the hell we were doing after the race sort of thing. I don't want to go in and finish ninth or tenth and, and give the horse a hard run. We'd rather just sort of target some of the handicaps, if you like. Potentially, in the back of my mind, if he goes and wins this, then we can, um, you know, we have the options of Cheltenham should he come out of it okay, and potentially the boys' race or, or, or the two-mile handicap, um, or potentially look after him and, uh, you know, see, see, see what uh, um, April looks like at uh, there for the Scottish champion hurdle. Um Mr. Waters is really keen to win the Welsh Champion Hurdle, uh, which is the start of next season. So um, that will be our main aim for next season, really. But like I say, yeah, we'll get we'll get Saturday out of the way first, and then uh, and, and then and then and then uh, see where our options are after that. And any any number of horses can be given a chance in the in the big coral sponsored chase on on Saturday. Your horse Al Dancer has had a a pretty productive season. Are you where you want to be with him? Yeah, no, absolutely thrilled, Nick. Um, this time round. We sort of haven't got our, uh, you know, other big guns, if you like, our powers and stolen silvers to have a go at these races with it, both out, uh, out after their last last run. So, yeah, our dancer's been flying the flag for us in some of the big handicaps. And, uh, yeah, he just looks like he deserves a step up to three miles, really. Um, we're very happy with him. He's bouncing along and tearing his rider's arms out every day at home. So, for an 11-year-old, he's, he's very much up for it still. And, um, yeah, we've got a big task on our hands. We're well aware of that, but we're also looking forward to it, thinking that we, uh, you know, we, we could be hopefully up for some improvement over over an extended three miles. All right, that was Sam Thomas. Looking forward to the weekend, uh, Maddie. This weekend now seems to be considered to be too close to Cheltenham for most people, even though I, I don't really see why. But anyway, that's another argument altogether. Uh, there are one or two things that have interested you. Yes, there are. Um, first off, today at Thurlis in the 2.23, the Cole Reevy Mayor's Novices Chase listed race. Interesting to see that Stuart Edmonds has sent over Marsh Wren, who was a very impressive winner at Utox to last time, uh, by Scaparelli, one of these mares who just keeps improving often that side produces late developing types. Um, I wonder how many horses he's sent over to, to Ireland in recent years. So that caught my eye. Good bit of campaigning from him. Um, you know, lots of Naturally, there's lots of talk about horses going over to Ireland, etc. So good to see him doing it during the week. Um, and also, um, I am very interested in Saturday's Adonis at Kempton because I think Caleb de Burley could be incredibly special. 
I love what he did on his British debut when he beat Roaring Legend, Yellow Star, All In You. Um, probably wasn't a deep race. Obviously, Saturday's Adonis is going to be much stronger. But I just loved the way he jumped. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see him sent straight over fences next season. Um, connections are, are talking about as a future Gold Cup horse. Paul Nichols has said that he he doesn't really want to run him in the in the Triumph. He's you know had runners like uh, Clander Zobo in the race who have finished down the field and just doesn't really think it can it can benefit the horse in any way. But I certainly would love to see him there. And he's he's a big price at the moment. He's going to be because connections are saying they're not keen, but. Um, when you've got as big as twenty-five to one with with one bookmaker, um, uh, I think he's a classy enough individual um, that it, it should be under consideration for him. Uh, um, so I'm hoping he absolutely bolts up on Saturday and gives them all a little bit of a headache because I want to see him take on Sergino and I want him to look very very good. Well, it's a fantastic British representation once again out here in Riyadh. Trainer Tim needs to be here with everybody's favourite art power. This horse knows how to how to travel, Tim. Yeah. Normally only to Ireland. How's he coping with this? Yeah, he's fine. He's good. It just I just thought he looked a little bit light when I got here, but he looks really good now. Um, trained well on the track, just steady away, and he's very fit and very well, so we hope for the best. I mean, the distance is a little bit unusual, but it's a little bit unusual for all of them. How hopeful are you that he'll he'll see it all out? Oh, yeah, he'll see, he'll see out, no problem. He gets seven furlongs, mm. uh, and he, it'll suit him the distance around here. That extra half... 100 yards it'll make a big difference to him it'll because uh, he goes to the line well you know um, you're no stranger to success in, in sprint races in the Middle East I sort of remember going right the way back didn't didn't Pippalong do well in Dubai didn't she yeah, run well she, in Dubai she ran here but uh, in Dubai but it was just a little bit quick for her the track but after that she had a she was champion mare in Europe you know went back from there a good yeah and so uh, this horse you know, he's he's not getting any younger but is it possible he's actually as good as he has ever been, just on what we saw at the back end of last year. Oh, he definitely is. He's 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 in great great order, and he's matured and got better with age. You know. How are you enjoying this experience so far? It's a fantastic place to come. The looking after is wonderful. Uh, the training track's great. Uh, the climate is wonderful because it's not too hot. Nice, cool at night. Yeah, it's great for the horses. Well, best of luck. Great, thank you. All right, thanks to. Tim Eastby, thanks to all my guests today. Maddie Playler still with me, and she has uh, some something for you for today. I do. Uh, I'm quite charmed by the chances of mood of the moment in the 415 link field uh, for David Pipe. He was a staying on third to Natty Knight at Leicester last time. Really caught the eye just emerging into the picture at the last moment in first time blinkers. He's back up in trip now. So if you watch that race back, you'll see why that's an obvious positive. Um, he actually showed little bits of promise in novice and maiden hurdles to suggest that he can build on that sort of performance. And I think he's actually quite a decent price. Um, so mood at the moment for me at Lingfield. Maddie, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs.